privilege to sing that together. We are going to be back in Psalm 119 tonight. We'll uh, just uh, briefly look at this next section. Now, there are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet in the Psalm 119. Psalm 119 is divided into 22 sections based on the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet. Right now, I only have four sermons on Psalm 119. I preached one last week. I'm going to preach one tonight. I have at least two more developed. Uh, I may need to come up with 18 more. I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, We'll see. I don't know if I'll eventually develop 22, um, but I know that is a, a long series. I don't know if I'll go through each individual section. But once again, we are looking at Psalm 119 in our series on confidence in the Bible. Confidence in the Scriptures, our theme for this year, the year 2023. And this has been entitled, The Mount Everest of the Bible. Psalm 119 is, a, is the highest peak, in a sense, in all of the Scripture uh, regarding the very Word of God. The longest chapter in the Bible, 176 verses, uh, all of which, except uh, one, refer to the Word of God, with one of those eight, some theologians, some scholars debate whether there's eight or there's ten uh, words. Uh, I think there's definitely argument for ten words uh, that specifically refer to the Word of God that are used in Psalm 119. We looked at uh, some of those uh, from uh, Matthew Henry's commentary and the way he described those very uniquely. We looked at that last week. But we see these Specific words in Psalm 119 referring to the Word of God. And again, it's a testimony to the inspiration, the authority of God's Word, the infallibility of God's Word, that the longest chapter in the Bible, the highest peak in a sense in all the Scripture, is reserved for the Word of God. It's a wonderful, wonderful psalm. I find myself going to Psalm 119 uh, frequently. Uh, The Lord has used various passages in this psalm. Uh, throughout my life, and what a tremendous encouragement, what a tremendous blessing, uh, what a wonderful way in which God uses His Word in our lives. And we see the heart of the psalmist. We see his love for God's Word, obviously written by the inspiration of God. And we look at this section once again in Psalm 119, and we have entitled uh, this uh, sermon tonight, uh, God's Word, Our Defense. And that is because in this passage we are familiar with this section of the scripture, where we read in verse 9 of Psalm 119, wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? It's a question. How can a young man, and we understand that yes, it is a specific reference to young men. And what is a young man? Well, a man who is young. And young can be a relative term. We understand that. I'm a very young man still. I'm a very young 48. I know that there are many who are younger than me, but a young man, why is it that the psalmist makes reference to a young man in this particular passage, specifically in regards to the cleansing of his life? Well, young men are vulnerable. Young men in our culture today are attacked. Young men are pretending that they are women. And can I say in a very... Uh, discreet way, there are young men who are pretending to be little girls, sissy girls. Pardon me for using a phrase, 
that I don't mean to necessarily be offensive. There are people who are captured by uh, the sin of homosexuality and transgenderism. They need the gospel. They need the Lord. They need the love of God. They are in a state that Romans 1 would refer to as a reprobate mind, and they need the gospel. It's a very difficult place for someone captured by that sin to uh, return to the Lord or to come to the Lord in salvation. There are, there are exceptions. There are some who get saved out of that sin. As a matter of fact, in, uh, I believe it's in 1 Corinthians where uh, there's a list of sins. And then we see the Apostle Paul saying, but God, where they're in that list of sins, one of which is homosexuality. And then there's the message, the, the statement, but God referring to those who have been saved out of certain sinful lifestyles, one of which is homosexuality. We know that they need the gospel. We know that this uh, perversion is all throughout our society. And though there are very few, there are not very many that ever get saved out of that lifestyle, they still need the gospel. They still are uh, men, and in in some cases women as well, involved in this uh, sin of homosexuality that are captured by this sin, and they, they need uh, the gospel. And they are, yes, made in the image of God. They're captured by this sin, uh, but we still need to uh, be reminded of the fact that they need the truth of God's word. They need the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is the power of God unto salvation. So this psalm, this specific verse, mentions young men. There is an attack, as I've, I've already uh, said, there's an attack upon... Uh, masculinity in our culture today. And that is a direct attack on the design that God uh, created for humankind, for mankind, for the distinctive uh, male and and female uh, design and creation of God. It's an attack ultimately upon the authority of God's word and upon God's authority and design in creation. And so young men need the Word of God. Young men need to pattern their lives by the Word of God. There are, yes, uh, young, young ladies who, true, <laughs> they need the gospel, they need the Word of God, they need uh, to live by the truth of the Word of God, but there is a reason that God had the, the psalmist here write by the inspiration of God this specific warning and directed it at young men. Because young men grow up to be men who lead homes, who lead families, who lead our institutions. Men, young men are designed by God to be leaders. And so we as a church want to develop in our young men leadership, responsibility. When a Super Bowl winning kicker who in his speech recently, I'm not saying I agree with, I don't even remember his name, but he was the kicker for the Kansas City Chiefs. I believe he's the field goal kicker for the Kansas City Chiefs. He's a Catholic. I I don't necessarily agree with his religious views, his his Catholicism. I, I don't believe that Catholicism is a true representation of biblical Christianity. It's a salvation by by works, ultimately. But I respect the fact that this man mentioned in his speech recently, a commencement address, if I understand it right, to a high school or to a college, I can't remember which, 
and he says to the, the, the students, don't try to be a Super Bowl winner. He says, get married and start a family and be an influence for God in society through your home, through your family, as a husband, as a wife. And, and that was earth-shattering. That was earthquaking to our culture, to the libs, to the uh, far left, uh, however we want to describe them, those who do not believe in biblical Christianity, who, who think that the Bible is irrelevant and out of touch. But I give him credit for being bold enough to say that because being a husband, being a father, leading a home, being a responsible young man is looked down upon today. Now you're a hero if you are a young man who thinks that you are a woman and pretends to be a sissy girl. That is considered heroic today. Men who leave their homes and their families, young men who are YouTube superstars, influencers, young men who leave their wife and their child and say that they are now living their authentic self, breaking their marriage vows, confusing their own son, and the world holds them up as heroes. And we know if you're uh, watching the news at all or you are familiar at all with the particular YouTube influencer that I just referred to, uh, you would know who I'm talking about. But young men who are perverted in their morality are being held up as the heroes. But what does the psalmist say is much more heroic than that? Living a moral, pure, upstanding, godly, righteous life. That is the heroic way to live. I know that's countercultural, but how shall a young man cleanse his way? The question is asked. Knowing that a young man is particularly vulnerable and needs the word of God, there are specific areas of temptation, areas then that will affect his leadership and his influence in society in his home, and his family, and institutions. How shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto, according to thy word. It's the word of God. So the word of God is our defense against sin. The word of God has a cleansing effect. How shall a young man cleanse his way? Literally, how shall a young man keep his way clean? Keep his way pure. How? By the word of God. I know it's, this seems so simple. We, we have all of these different uh, methods and seven steps to this and ten steps to that and 40 days to this and all of these formulas for how to be pure, how to have success, how to have fulfillment, how to have satisfaction, etc., etc. But... The simple statement in scripture is for a young man to keep his way pure, to be clean and to stay clean is by taking heed, by being obedient to the word of God. As we were reminded recently in our revival meetings, as Brother Schrock uh, made reference to this passage, 
where we are to cast down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. The word of God is our defense, is our guard posts around our mind. And young men are under attack at their mind today. Those of us who are grown men, we know, we understand very clearly the particular points of temptation. And so our burden is for our young men, for our sons, because they are attacked through the eye gates. Their moral purity is under assault from so many different directions, from billboards to internet ads to pop-ups to all of the entertainment options to the hundreds of accessible sites and streaming videos and movies. And I'm not even going to touch on some of the dark web temptations. There is a sewer out there, and it wants to drown our young people in it. We must guard our minds. Young men, yes, specifically, but really it's true for all of us. We must guard our minds. The guard posts of our mind must be the word of God. We've been by prisons, penitentiaries. Uh, Kelly grew up down the road from Pendleton, Indiana, and the Pendleton Penitentiary. And we drive by there from time to time, and what do they have? They have walls and barbed wire, and then they have a secondary fence with more barbed wire. And I would imagine there's some sort of electrical, digital (laughs) camera system, various warnings if somebody were to escape. Uh, We know that there are these different guard posts up there, and people that are, uh, their job is to stand guard and to watch cameras and watch fences We need to have that kind of diligence with our minds, with our hearts. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. The word of God has a cleansing effect. It is a defense against sin. And that means that this requires a diligence. With my whole heart have I sought thee, O let me not wander from thy commandments. So there has to be a diligence. There has to be an effort. There has to be a wholeheartedness. There is a zeal from the enemies of God that is rabid and maniacal and diabolical to try to discourage, defeat, and destroy God and his word and keep people from believing in Christ as their savior, keeping Christians from being obedient. There is a War, a spiritual war, Ephesians 6 describes, that is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. So how are we going to defeat those temptations that are spiritual? How are we going to defeat those enemies that are spiritual? We have to have the word of God. We have to guard our minds and our hearts, and we have to be diligent. We have to walk circumspectly. We have to be on guard on a regular basis. What happens in a prison when the guards let down their 
awareness for just a short amount of time. It makes headlines. It makes the news. There was a guard. I forget where the prison was, but they, in, they ended up in Indiana as a prison guard, had an affair with one of the prisoners, and the two of them went on the run, and he was a fugitive from, from justice, ended up in southern Indiana. And if you read the story, he had, as a prisoner, he had led this female prison guard into an affair to the point that she then had a way of escape, planned a way of escape, and she was able to get him out of the prison. They stole vehicles. They ended up in southern Indiana, and they ended, I think, she ended up dead, and I can't remember what happened to him. They ended up either catching him or killing him. I forget the rest of the story. But that's the way Satan operates, even from within our sinful hearts, looking for an area in which he, we can be, be deceived, in, in an area of vulnerability, whether it be on the mountaintop or down in the valley, and the temptation comes, and then before long there is a rottenness from within that causes the branch, the limb to break, and then we wonder, how did that branch break? Well, there was a rottenness. There was a disease. There was something on the inside. Before there was ever an external failure, an external fall, there was something going on within. So that's why we have to be so diligent with the Word of God as a defense against sin. That's why we have to seek Him with our whole heart. We have to be very diligent, very vigilant, because... The devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. We must not wander from God's commandments. Keep his commandments. Keep his law. Obey his rules. Which means we have to internalize God's truth. Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. We need to memorize God's word, yes. It's important for us to memorize God's word, but we must do more than just memorize. We must internalize. We must make it part of our being, understanding the word of God in its context and applying the word of God in every area of our lives. Thy word have I hid in my heart. Literally, it's treasuring the word of God. It's making an investment in our hearts, in our minds, with the Word of God. We make an investment, monetarily speaking. We put the money into the bank. We put it into a 501c, whatever it is, 401k and IRAs and Roth IRAs. And we make that investment. We treasure that and it builds. So in a sense, we hide God's word, we treasure God's word in our hearts so that it builds, so that it grows, so that it develops, so that it is internalized and it controls every area of our lives. We bring God's word into every area of our lives. We memorize it, yes, we internalize it so that Everywhere we go, everything we do, every thought that we think is brought into captivity. Philippians 4, in verse number 8, is a spiritual filter. What are we told in Philippians 4, in verse number 8, that we are to think about? What sort of things are pure, just, lovely, good report, and virtue, and of praise? Think on these things. What are those terms? How are they defined? By the word of God. The world out there today is trying to redefine all the terms. Everything, it seems. 
We have to come back to the biblical definitions so that our mind is controlled and conformed by the word of God to the word of God, that we internalize God's truth. Thy word have I hid in mine heart, ultimately why? That I might not sin against thee. So that my thinking is biblical, so that when I'm tempted to sin, there is scripture that guides my thinking, so that I make a decision that pleases the Lord. I do not make a decision that is sinful. I use discernment, my choices, my actions, my thoughts, my lifestyle is patterned by the commandments, by the commandments of God's word, patterned after the word of God. My, thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. God's word is a defense against sin. But then we see in verse number 12 that God's word is to be declared. Blessed art thou, O Lord, teach me thy statutes. We need the word of God declared to us. I am so thankful for good attendance on a Sunday night like this. I have heard from more than one guest speaker that our attendance on Sunday nights is unusual. That's a testimony to you as God's people wanting to be under the preaching and the teaching of God's word. That is a testimony to your faithfulness to the Lord. I'm thankful that this church has regular committed times for the teaching, the instruction, for the preaching of God's word. That's what we focus, we center the ministry around. Our ministry is not centered around social events. And most of our events have something to do with Bible study and uh, the, the word of God. We do that on purpose. We do that with intentionality. It's... The church is not just an entertainment center. It's a place for God's word to be declared to us. And we are forgetful people. We are uh, often prone to wander, as we talked about even last week. So we have to have those regular, consistent reminders of the word of God brought into remembrance. We need the word of God declared to us. I need the word of God. Preach to me. Uh, Lord willing, I'll go to a pastor's fellowship on on Tuesday, where the Word of God would be preached. I, I try to listen to uh, sermons on a regular basis. I need preaching. It's important for our children. We looked in Deuteronomy 6 this morning at going out and coming in, the frontlets of our house on our, on our, on our, uh, I mean, on our doorposts of our house, the frontlets of our, of our, of our own being, our, uh, the, the phylacteries that the Orthodox Jews will wear. If you've ever seen some of the Orthodox Jews, they'll wear phylacteries, a little box with scripture on their forehead. I watched them in New York City one time on a mission trip. They were walking down the street, and they had these phylacteries where the word of God was in a little box on their forehead. They were trying to be so literal in their interpretation of God's word when Deuteronomy 6 is talking about having the word of God in our homes and our going out and our coming in. Everywhere we go, the word of God permeates our life. That's the point of Deuteronomy 6. So we have to declare the word of God to our children and to our grandchildren. So often throughout life, we have to help our children and our grandchildren understand how to apply the word of God in certain situations. And it should be normal and natural for us to talk about the word of God. It should be so much a part of who we are that as we are in a conversation, it is not hard for us to just begin to talk about the scripture, talk about God and 
refer to Scripture and how it applies in this situation. That should be normal and natural for us as believers. That we are declaring the Word of God. Now, there are some who are called to preach the Word of God. They are called to a vocational ministry. I remember a young man. I, I came out of Bible college and seminary, and I, I wanted to preach, I mean, every opportunity I could. I, I just, and I still to this day, I mean, I, I honestly, I, I know it sounds a little weird, but we have guest speakers, and I love it when we have guest speakers, but I'm itching to preach again. And I know Kelly and the kids, they probably get tired of me sometimes, because I can get on, I can get in preacher mode. Um, but I, I came out of seminary, and I, I wanted to preach every, every opportunity I could. If, if somebody called, I mean, obviously there was discernment, but nursing homes, missions, if Pastor Defoe gave me an opportunity in junior church, whatever, I, I, was, I, I was there. I was so thankful when Kelly and I were dating when there was somebody who couldn't continue to teach. He took another job. He was a part-time Bible teacher. And Pastor Defoe came to me and said, would you like to fill in for him? He has to take another job. He can't teach the Bible classes anymore. I was like, yes, sir. And I was teaching Bible classes the rest of that semester. I was, I was praising the Lord for it. I was so frustrated when I was uh, trying to help a young man who had just graduated from Bible college. And I kept giving him opportunities to preach. And he kept turning me down. And I said, how, in my mind, I said, how can, how can he keep turning down opportunities? Well, eventually he left the ministry. I don't know if he was truly called. But I thought, here's a man who said he was called to preach. And he didn't ever have a desire to preach the word. And I thought, well, there's something wrong there. One of the, one of the, the qualifications of a, of a man called to preach is apt to teach. There has to be that desire to preach and to teach the word of God. Not everybody is called to that kind of vocational ministry. But are we not given that responsibility in our provoking one another to love and to good works and iron sharpening iron and faithful are the wounds of a friend? Are we not at times instructing one another even in our singing? Why do we sing hymns? Why do we sing good doctrinal truths? Because we are singing one to another. Yes, we're singing to the Lord, but we're also singing one to another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. That's part of our edification. It's part of building each other up. It should be normal and natural for us to be declaring the word of God in our conversations, in our homes, with the gospel, as God gives us divine appointments and opportunities to share the word of God. So many ways in which the word of God is declared, that we are declaring and we are under the declaration of the word of God. And then we come to the word of God being our delight. Verse 13, with my lips have I declared all the judgments of thy mouth. Verse 14, I have rejoiced in the way of thy testimonies as much as in all riches. Once again, as we looked at again, as we looked at last week even, the scriptures inspire praise, thanksgiving, rejoicing, and singing. Here is where, once again, we see the heart of worship. The heart of worship comes from doctrinal truths, a humble submission to God, to who he is, to his word. And as those doctrinal truths, as those truths regarding God and his word go deeper, our worship becomes higher. Again, we talked about this last week, but there is such a movement in churches today to create a mood, an atmosphere for worship from the outside in. 
when really it's about the inside out. And now we have these people talking about moods and ambience and atmosphere for worship. And so only then when you create the mood for worship can you really have the spirit and really worship. That's very, very dangerous. Because then it becomes about emotion, it becomes about the physical, it becomes about the external. And I don't want to dwell on this too much, because I don't want to take too much of our time, because we have testimonies tonight. And I don't want to get on too much of a rabbit trail here. But when it becomes all about the physical and the emotional, then it becomes very subjective, it becomes very man-centered. And God takes a back seat to my showmanship, to performance. And it becomes about the individual instead of about God. And it becomes about, it comes down to the, the, the event. It comes to the physical response and feelings-based worship instead of God focused worship. And so it's just an area that we have to constantly be diligent about and constantly be on guard about because our worship comes from rejoicing in the way of his testimonies from the inside out. And then verse 15, I will meditate in thy precepts and have respect unto thy ways. We see the will of God the will of God discovered through the careful application of and obedience to the word of God. So really quickly here, several points about the will of God, just very quickly. I know that the details of the will of God can get mysterious. I understand that. I don't mean that in a negative way. But we get caught up in the will of God, and we know that the Father, that Jesus was about the Father's business. My meat is to do the will of him that sent me. And scriptures are clear. There are several different principles regarding the will of God. I just want to identify them. These are, I realize, big picture will of God. And as we are obedient in these areas, as we take each individual step of obedience, God reveals the next step in the will of God. And I have seen this, you have testimony of this, of being obedient in the next right thing. Being obedient in all of these areas that I'm going to mention. And then as we take the next step, sometimes it does require faith, claiming a promise, a principle, a command of scripture, but taking that next obedient step and then God reveals the next. And then we look back and we see the stepping stones in life. We see the sidewalk. We see the road. We see that path that God led me all the way as we are obedient each and every step. Sometimes the will of God requires us to cross the creek. <laughs> if you ever cross the creek, we used to go catch crawdads. And uh, we had some really fun places on the west side of Indianapolis. Most of them are now urban centers, but we had some really fun places out by the old Indianapolis airport. We used to go down to the creek. We had such a great time catching, catching crawdads and seeing snakes. And then there were these soft-shell turtles that we would catch. They were so fast, they would jump into the water. We had so much fun. But we'd cross the creek. Where would we cross the creek? There'd be, a, there'd be wood, there'd be stones, and we would carefully walk across. And sometimes the will of God means being obedient, being faithful, crossing the creek, finding that place 
And it seems a little mysterious at times, but there are several areas of the big picture will of God that we must identify. The will of God means that we should be, first of all, saved. And then that we should be sanctified. This is the will of God, even your sanctification. Surrendered. Saved, sanctified, and surrendered. That living sacrifice of Romans 12, 1 and 2. We're to be sexually pure, continuing in 1 Thessalonians 4. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication. That everyone uh, should, um, and I, I'm forgetting the, the rest of the, the passage, but we're to keep our, uh, our bodies, our vessels, uh, pure there in 1 Thessalonians 4. I'm not quoting it correctly. But saved, sanctified, surrendered, sexually pure, and then submitted. We're to be submitting ourselves one to another. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus. And then the will of God involves suffering. Suffering. All of those areas are principles regarding the will of God. As we're obedient in those areas, God reveals the details. God shows us the details. As we are committed in those big areas, then God works out the details as we humbly, submissively be obedient to him. And then we close with this word meditation, verses 15 and 16, I will meditate in thy precepts and have respect unto thy ways. I will delight myself in thy statutes. I will not forget thy word. Meditation. It's a lost art. It's a practice that we don't practice. Because we are so distracted. We have thousands of websites and pages and videos and noise it's hard to find even a quiet place. I enjoy going to um, ball games, but sometimes you can't even talk to the person next to you because the music is so loud. You can't even, most of the music is garbage, by the way, but you can't even talk to the, you can't even hear the person next to you. There's so many noises in our culture, so many distractions. We have lost the art of meditation. This word meditate it's translated imagine in Psalm 2 1, Psalm 38 12. It's translated studyeth in Proverbs 15 and 24. It's translated utter, mutter, talk, or speak in those other passages there on the screen. It's even translated mourn. So, what is meditation? What is it truly? It is speaking to oneself the truths of the Word of God, it is a form of creative thinking. So think about that for a minute. Do we worry? I'll be the first one to raise my hand. I worry. If we can worry, we can meditate. Because really, meditate on the word of God and worry are opposites. And we do plenty of worrying, but do we meditate? Do we speak to ourselves the word of God? Now, I know that it's weird. I've, I've been told that a sign of intelligence is talking to oneself. I don't know if that's true. I don't know if that's true. And I'm not saying anything about me, but I talk to myself. And I'm not saying I'm intelligent. I'm just saying I've heard that intelligent people talk to themselves. Okay? I think it's probably more on the weirdness side of things. But we, we need to meditate, speak to ourselves. I know this is kind of a gross illustration, but a cow will chew the cud however many stomachs they have, and they burp it back up and back and forth it goes. We need to do that with the word of God, with the truths of God's word. We need to meditate. We need to have that theological 
musilage, that theological cud, without being disrespectful to God's word, where we are, we are continually meditating, dwelling upon, talking to ourselves the truth of God's word. And sometimes that means a quiet place with no distractions. And that can be sometimes the hardest place to find. And it takes discipline, but it's necessary. And the psalmist says, I will, I, will, I will meditate in thy precepts and have respect unto thy ways. Notice how those rhyme. Meditating on God's precepts results in respect to God's ways. I will delight myself in thy statutes. I will not forget thy word. Our delight should be in the word of God. It is our defense. We'll close with that tonight. Let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll have our closing song before our testimonies this evening. Lord, we thank you for your, your word. Thank you for the, this wonderful psalm, this Mount Everest of the Bible. Lord, as we have just slowly been climbing the, the lengths and the, the depths and the heights of this great mountain of the word of God. Lord, I pray that you will finger your word into our hearts and our minds, that, Lord, we will hide your word in our hearts, that it will be internalized, that we might live it out, that we will meditate upon your word and speak your word to our lives as we go about our our business and our workplace and places of entertainment at home and wherever we're at. May the word of God be our defense and be our delight. And Lord, I pray that you will help us to live out the will of God and to honor and to obey you and be faithful to your commandments. Pray that you will speak to our hearts, bless even the testimonies that are to follow.